Good afternoon. Welcome to Soul City Church. My name is Jarrett Stevens. How are you doing today? Yeah, no. It's not good enough. That's okay. We'll let it go. I'm one of the lead pastors here, and I'm uh, leading us through a teaching series where we're looking at the Bible through maybe a different lens. We're looking at the bigger story of the Bible, but we're looking at it through four small words, how we might be able to get the whole big story in just four movements, four small words, so that you can better understand the Bible so that you can know God and have a relationship with him and so that you can share the message of the Bible without feeling maybe intimidated or like you don't know enough about it. And so uh, we've taught through them over the last couple of weeks, but I'll bring them up here. You can catch up online. That's easy to do if you want to go listen to our podcast or online, but I'll just show you the words real quick right here so we can all be on the same page together. The first word of the four words is, anyone want to take a guess? Of. Oh, see, look, you guys are awesome. Of, that's Genesis 1 and 2. You're created in the image of God. You're created in the image of God. This is a very important thing for you to understand. That there's not a person you're going to see today or for the rest of your life that isn't created in the image of God. You actually have an identity. Your soul has a source, and it comes from him. But then sin enters into the story, and we get our second word, which is? Between. between. Sin comes between us. Genesis 3 is what we looked at. And where that began, two weeks ago we looked at that, and that is really what happens. Sin separates us and puts a distance between us and God. And so we see God continuing to step between us and our sin through things like covenants and commandments and the temple and priests and through prophets, and we continue to put sin in between us and God. Third word we're looking at today? Y'all, listen, I know in your heart you're excited, but like you're making me fall asleep with those answers. (laughs) And I'm standing. So let's try that again. Third word. There you go. Matthew 1 through Acts chapter 1, the four gospel accounts. That is the story of God with us. And in fact, we're going to look at that today, what that means, the implications that God would enter into our story. Last word is? That is God in you. God in you. That starts in Acts chapter 2 and carries throughout the rest of the New Testament. If you want to understand what's going on in the New Testament, it's a picture of what life is like when God is in you. When you get that God is in you, it changes everything. So those are the four words, of, between, with, in. They give us a framework for the Bible. And today what we're going to see is that story is not only the story of the Bible, but it's our story as well. You're created in the image of God, but sin comes between you and God. Jesus comes to be with you so that God can live in you. You're going to see it actually in living color today as we celebrate baptism. You're going to see people who get this story and are living it out in their lives, that God is with them and he gave his life for them and he's actually in them. And we're going to celebrate with them. And I want to add, we're going to open up the waters to anyone who wants to get baptized today. So you may not have gotten up this morning thinking you were going to get baptized, but we actually have made a spot for you, and we don't want anyone to miss this moment. It has been a powerful morning, like horizontal tears powerful (laughs) morning today. And so we don't want you to miss that, so I want to let you know that now so that you can start to prepare to respond by getting baptized today. Hey, this last week, Facebook did something that you may or may not have noticed, but they added another feature in an attempt to try and help you express the full range of human emotions to display how you really feel without having to use any words. Did you notice what they added this week to the little likes and comments section? Did you notice these guys? Yep. So I'm here to break it down for you. This is your tech news uh, part of the sermon. Uh, And uh, they added these little animated emojis to help you really express how you really feel about things. And so 
Uh, you're familiar with the like one. They just kind of add a little bit more feeling to it, and that's great, because I guess like wasn't enough. We couldn't just like things. Now we have to have all these emotions. And so then the next one is love. That's like if you really, really, really like something, you love it, and you can let them know with that heart. And then the next one is the laughing one, the ha, 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 ha. I love that guy. He never opens his eyes. He's just laughing the whole time. Uh, so you obviously you get what that one is. Here's a fun way to use this this week. Anytime one of your friends on Facebook posts a political rant or just kind of goes off, just give them this and just see how they respond. Like, ah, ha, 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 your views are hilarious. Just see if that doesn't um, entice more conversation. Uh, and, then, uh, and then, wow, which is really great. I love that one. Like, wow, I can't believe you posted that. Or, wow, you might have an issue with oversharing. Or... Um, <laughs> You know, so that's for that. So now that you know. Uh, and then I'm actually really appreciative of this one, the sad one. Do you see that little sad guy over there? So this is like if someone posts something that makes you sad, you can post that. Because I've, I've found myself like in a moral dilemma. Anytime someone will post something on Facebook or on Instagram that is sad in nature, I'm like, am I supposed to like this? I don't, like, you know, my cat ran away last night and I'm really upset. And I'm like, I like that. I don't like that. I like you, but I get, so this is, this helps. That helps. I'm glad they did that. And then the last one is so awesome. Angry. And just look at how angry that little face is getting. Look at that. Oh, he's just shaking his head. There's a lot of shame in that one right there. So that's a fun one. I encourage you to use it at some point uh, this week as well. And this really is indicative of what's going on in our culture is that we really have become the United States of reviews. That we, we just, we want to know how people think and how they feel. We want to share how we think and how we feel. And if we don't have to use words, all the better. We'll just use a little emoji to do so. Because for some reason, that's become incredibly important. As information has increased, we just want opinion. We want to know what the crowd thinks, how they really feel about something. And so uh, we will entrust ourselves to people that we will never meet then that you will never know to help you make decisions about places you've never been or products that you may or may not purchase. It's amazing the power that the anonymous crowd has in our lives. We want to know what they think about this, that, or the other. And so it got me thinking this week when I saw Facebook do this and how we love to leave our little review of things. It got me thinking about this. If, if someone were to leave a review of your life right now, what do you think they'd say? So if someone had to write it, like someone went on Yelp and was doing a review of you, what do you think they'd say? Like, what, would you, what do you think you'd get? Three stars, four stars, five stars? Like pros, cons list? Like, what do you think you'd get? Would you get the happy face? Would you get the angry face? What would you get if someone had to write a review of you? Have you ever thought about that before? If someone had to just pause and look at your life, what would the review of your life be at this moment right now? So now that we're at that awkward tension moment, let's take it a step further and I want you to think about this for a second. If God were to write a review of you, what would he say? If God were to write a review about you right now, what do you think he would say? So God logs into Yelp, just finishes leaving his review about that new Thai restaurant, and now he's going to leave a review about you. What's he going to say? Is he pleased? Is he disappointed? Is he happy? Does he feel like he's doesn't really know you anymore, been a long time, not what it used to be. What would, if God had to leave a review of you, what do you think he would say? This is an incredibly important question 
because it has a much deeper impact on our lives and how we view ourselves and how we view God than you may even realize. Another way of phrasing the question might be this. What do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? What do you think that God thinks when he thinks about you? Now, just be really honest. What do you really think God really thinks when he thinks about you? Is he pleased? Is he disappointed? Is he happy? Is he sad? Is he angry? So how you answer this question determines how you view God and how you view yourself and where you kind of put yourself in this world. It's an incredibly important question. What do you think God thinks when he thinks of you? Now, to help us live in that question, to go a little bit deeper, to help us unpack the third word in our four small words, we're going to look at a moment in the life of Jesus where we get to see exactly what God thinks when he thinks of Jesus. And by looking to Jesus, we get a clue about what God thinks about you. And so I want you to take a Bible and open it up to Matthew chapter 3. If you got one with you, great. If not, we should have you covered in the seat backs. You can grab one of those. There's a little note thing too. If you want to take notes, just to jot it down. If you have questions, things later, you can jot this down. So Matthew chapter 3, page 676 in the gray Bible. Use the note cards if you want. Grab a pen. We say this all the time, but it just bears repeating. Uh, if you're serious about knowing the God that we talk about here every week and want to have a relationship with him, but you don't own a Bible yet, and I'm really serious. Pay attention here. If you don't own a Bible, we can solve that right now. Steal this Bible from church today. Like literally swipe a Bible from church. And here's what I encourage you. Make it fun. Tuck it under your shirt. Put it in the back of your pants. See if we notice. Nothing would make us happier than you stealing a Bible from church today so that you can know the God who gave it to you. Matthew chapter 3. Let me give you some quick context. We always want to know what the story is that we're stepping into in the Bible. And so this is really the beginning of the gospel accounts. And there's something major that happens before we even get to this. It's that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, sin had separated us from God to the extent to which that God seemed as though he was distant from the people that he created and that he loved. This is the story of the Old Testament. God is present, but distant. And then at the end of the Old Testament, God does something. He gives the people over to their whims and their wills and their way, and he goes radio silent for 400 years. God doesn't say a word. And so it's out of that silence, it's out of that distance, that separation, that this story begins. And God sends his son Jesus to be born into our world. He literally enters into our story through Jesus. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. You're familiar with the story that God is literally born. I don't want to spend a ton of time on that this morning because we just spent like a month on it in December. Go back, you can watch those messages if you want. But we get the significance of it. We sing songs about it. We celebrate it. God entered into our story and came to to be with us through the birth of Jesus. Now, what happens after that is really interesting because there's not a lot recorded after the birth of Jesus until the very last three years of his life. I don't know if you've ever caught that or paid attention to that before. But so there's a little moment when he's two and he goes down to Egypt and there's a moment when he's 12 and he gets lost in the temple, but that's it. And I think it's just really interesting to think about the fact that I've put 100% of my faith into a Jesus that I only have about 20% information on. There's another 80% of his life that I don't even know about. I don't know what happened. And then some people have kind of written some fiction about him. There's all kinds of maybe guess or attempts. Do you know what I think? You know what I think about that? About the 80% of the life of Jesus that we just have no record of? I love it, actually. I love that for 80% of his life, I got no idea where he's at or what he's doing. Because do you know what I think he's doing? I think he's living his ordinary, everyday life just like you and me. 
I think he submits himself not only to being with us, but to living in obscurity for 80% of his life. This one who would literally change the course of human history and for whom eternity literally hangs lived in obscurity for 80% of his life. We just have no record of it. And so we have a Savior who chose to be with us even in the uneventful moments, the ones that don't make the highlight reel, the ones that no one thought to write down when that was happening, when he did his chores, when he eventually went and went to work. The conversations he had with friends, the meals he shared, the awkward relatives that he had to put up with, the jokes that he told that weren't as funny as he thought they would be, all of those ordinary everyday things. Yep, he lived those too. And that's incredibly encouraging to me, that we can find him there even in the obscurity, even though we have no record of all that happened. He chose to be with us in that. But it's out of that that we see the passage that we're coming to today. Jesus is leaving the silence of obscurity and entering into uh, the desert to go visit his cousin John. His cousin John's a little bit older than him, and John had been preaching out in the desert and baptizing people, people symbolically as a way of ushering in God's forgiveness and restoration, and he's preparing the people for the coming Messiah. He is preaching about and prophesying about the one who will come, who will finally, ultimately be the last sacrifice necessary to cover our sins once and for all. And so John is out there, and he's quite a character, and he's baptizing people. And I love that this is happening out in the desert, because at this point, if you were here last week or you heard the message, you know that there was an elaborate system of worship around sort of the people of Israel, around the temple, around the calendar year with the fast and the feast that God had established, a system of sacrifices for them. But this is happening. What John is doing is outside of that system. It's outside those walls. It's out in the desert because God's doing a new thing. And Jesus comes to the waters and John recognizes him. John is there and he's preaching and you can just hear him preaching and preaching and preaching through that matted beard that hid most of his face. His words are breaking through the hard hearts of those who had gathered there, piercing those parts inside of us where we try and hide away our sin. And there John is preaching, preaching, and he sees Jesus walking down towards the water. And for the first time in a long time, he is speechless. He, is, he sees him. He recognizes that it's his cousin Jesus who is, in fact, the Savior of the world, the long-awaited Messiah. And so Jesus makes his way down towards the water, and John has the idea. He knows what this moment is about. He gets even that Jesus came to be with us, and we celebrate all of that. Like, so great is his love for us that Jesus literally enters waist-deep into the waters of sin, where people were being baptized and confessing their sin. He literally, Jesus walks into the water, and John goes, I know why you're here. You're here to baptize me. And so John goes up to Jesus, and he gets everyone's attention that this is the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. There's a bigger plan here than you can even see. Okay, Matthew 3, verse 13. You've been waiting long enough. Let's read it. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, tried to change his mind, saying, no, 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 no. I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Now, why is it significant? Because Jesus didn't need to be baptized. There was no sin in him perfect and pure in every way. And John goes, no, 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 Jesus, I don't think you get the whole idea of this baptism thing here. 
I need to be baptized by you. You don't need to be baptized. You're perfect. You're pure. This is for the confession of sin. This is for acknowledging God's will and God's way and God's love in my life. But Jesus answers him in verse 15, and he says, no, John, let it be so now. It's proper. It's right. It's the right time for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill God's bigger plan, God's bigger play in the world than just this moment. And I love, I love those next couple words. It says, then John consented, which is a good idea when you're talking to the savior of the world. He's usually right about these things. So John agrees to baptize Jesus and he takes his cousin, the savior of the world, and he lowers him into the waters. And as he raises him up, something beautiful, something powerful happens that I can't find at any other point recorded in the Bible or any point in human history do we have this beautiful, powerful, significant moment that you're about to see in verse 16. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. This is a very significant moment. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a little bit of symbolism here, but there were other eyewitness accounts that saw the Spirit coming down like a dove and landing, that symbol of peace and the presence of God surrounding Jesus, the blessing of God on Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's unbelievable. All these witnesses, all these people here seeing the Holy Spirit of God wrapping himself around Jesus and putting his mark upon him. And then this happens in verse 17. And then a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. I love that this is the message that God had for Jesus in this incredibly significant moment. This is my son. I love him. I am so pleased with who he is. Now, why is this moment so significant? Because it's the only moment I can find in the entire Bible where you see a physical manifestation of each of the three members of that community that we've come to call the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. I can't find another place in the Bible where all three of them are physically present in one moment. You have Jesus, the Son, there to be baptized by his cousin John. You have the Spirit physically somehow coming down and surrounding Jesus. And so there's that. And then you have God the Father speaking from heaven, his voice literally speaking out from heaven in a moment where people audibly heard him say, this is my Son whom I love. Nowhere else can I find in the Bible all three members of the Trinity physically present at one given moment. Now, the Bible nerd in me is like, isn't that awesome? But I'm not going to mess that on you. Here's what I want you to pay attention to, though. Why? What was so important that all three members of the Trinity be physically present in this one moment of Jesus' baptism? Well, I think the order of things is important for us to pay attention to. Because I don't want you to miss where this is at in the story of Jesus. Remember, he was born, and then we kind of have not a lot recorded. And then this happens, and then he goes on to preach, teach, heal, perform miracles, ultimately lead him to the cross. But before any of that is this moment, before he turns water to wine, before he feeds 5,000, before he heals any sick or any lame, before the cross, he hears those words, you're my child, 
I love you. I am so proud of you. It wasn't because of anything Jesus had done at that point. And it wasn't because of anything he would do. It simply was because he was. He was. And God is love. And God says, I love you. This is my son. This is my child. Pay attention to him. This is my son. And these are the words that Jesus would cling to as he was propelled into his public ministry. This is the place that he would perform every miracle from, teach every sermon from. This reality, this knowing, this indwelling of God's love, of God's perfect love for him. And these are the words that I can imagine he most desperately desired to hear as he hung on a cross, as he literally took on the weight of every sin of every one of us and everyone else in the world, and so heavy was the weight of sin on him, and so holy and righteous is God, that God had to turn his back on his own son, and Jesus cries out at the end of his public ministry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I need to know that you still love me. It's incredibly important for us to pay attention to the order of things. God's love and blessing was on Jesus and for Jesus before Jesus did anything for God. And these are the same words that he actually has for you today as well. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are loved. He delights in you. In fact, the New Testament gives us picture after picture of this. What joy we have to be called the sons and daughters of God, that God has lavished his love on us. So great is God's love that he would send his son into the world to die for us. We get that the same love that God has for Jesus, he actually has for you and for me. And once again, the order of things is very important because it's not about anything you've ever done for God. That's not why he loves you. And it can't be undone by anything you do moving forward. That's not how his love works. He loves you before anything you could ever do and not because of anything you could ever do for him. He just loves you because you are. And he is a loving father. This is incredibly important for us to get that at our highest and most holy attempts to try and earn God's love and, you know, kind of win our way back to God or impress God again. And at our lowest points where we are so embarrassed and overwhelmed by our sin in our lives and every point in between, you are actually loved by God. There's not a thing you can do to earn that love and there's not a thing you can do to change it. This is a fundamental transformational truth. You're loved. You are so very loved by God. In fact, one way of thinking about it is, is this, and this kind of encapsulates the whole thought. Before you were anything, you were everything to God. Before you were anything, you were everything to God. He was like unleashing his love on you. Now listen, that's good, friends. Like when I typed that, when I wrote that earlier this week, I went, Mm, that is good. I need to hear that. I need to say that. And I feel like your response was mediocre at best to that. 
So here's what I want you to do. I actually want you to find the eyes with someone next to you. So turn to someone next to you. So everyone turn to someone next to you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to look them in the eyes and I want you to say, before you were anything, you were everything to God. Listen, that's good, isn't it? Before you were anything, before you've established your place in this world, before you added a bunch of zeros to your net worth, before you achieved whatever sort of social status or relational status you have, before you believed any of the lies that this world has to tell you about your worth, before you were anything, you were already everything to God, lavishing his love upon you because you're his beloved son, you're his beautiful daughter, and he cannot help but love you. He can't even stop himself from loving you. You already matter to him. And I got a glimpse of just how audacious this kind of love is that God has. Irrational this love is. Yesterday afternoon, you know, yesterday was a beautiful day for us in Chicago. It was above 50 in February. So I'm out in shorts, flip-flop t-shirt. I'm just trying to soak it all in, right? And we're out in the courtyard playing with our neighbors and their kids and talking with them and and they have a little girl, Livia, who's a little over a year now. And she's just walking around drinking her bottle, just doing her thing. And she's just kind of what she does. She just always has a bottle. She's just walking around doing her thing. And so, we, you know, I just kind of at one point scooped her up. And because I love her, she's so stinking cute. And so I'm just holding Livia as we're all talking. I'm just, and I'm starting, all the old moves are starting to come back from when we had little ones. And I'm doing kind of this thing with her. And I'm like, oh, Livia is so cool. Look at that bottle. Your bottle's so cool. I'm kind of like, you know, trying to warm her up, butter her up a little bit, trying to get her to have some sort of response to me. And the whole time she's just like... <laughs> I mean, she's the baby version of meh, like to everything I'm doing. And so no matter what I did to her, I'm like, oh, do you see the puppy? Oh, look, there's the puppy. Oh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's biting someone again. But there's our puppy. And, you know, she's just the whole time just like, mm-hmm, that's cool. And then after a little while, she just kind of went, eh, and she was done. And so I just put her down, and she went on her way and kept drinking her bottle and doing her thing. I wasn't personally hurt or offended, but I will say about an hour or so later, uh, we met up with Kurt and Katie who are on our staff and they uh, met us up for some ice cream over at Cone here in the neighborhood. And so we all pop into Cone and we're sitting down there and their daughter, Sayla May, who turns uh, a year just next week, she turns a year old. And so Sayla was there and I was doing it all over again. Just trying, I, I think I want the affirmation of a baby. I don't know what is wrong or what's missing in my life, but I'm talking to her and I'm doing all this shit, shit, shit. And then you know, it's like when you have a baby, whether it's your baby or it's a niece or a nephew or a friend's baby, Baby, you start, you, you just start in that voice, like, does it good? I love you so much. you like, you start doing that, or maybe you do that with your puppy or your kitten or whatever, like, and you start using that voice. And here's what's so amazing the whole time, Sailor didn't give me any love or affirmation back the whole time. Uh, but here's the thing I didn't stop telling her, oh, you're so, I love you, you're so cool. Yeah, I'm just, because I love these little kids, I love our friends' kids, I love our kids, and whether or not they give me a response doesn't change whether I love them. And that's what's interesting when you think about how you treat a baby and how you talk to a baby is, you know, you do all the voices, you say, I love you, I love you. They don't reciprocate as such. They don't go, you know what? I see what you're doing. I appreciate you expressing. <laughs> There's a bond between us now. But it's not what a baby, a baby is just going to keep doing what babies do. And you're going to keep loving them. And the reality is, if you're to be really honest, they're, they're fussy. And they're messy. And they just cry sometimes for no good reason. Or fall asleep when you're telling them that you love them. But it doesn't stop you, does it? So it is with God's love for you. 
So it is with the Father's love for you. It's irrational. There's no good reason for him to keep demonstrating his love for you and for me because we're fussy and messy and whiny people. But he does not stop loving you. And the word that he had for Jesus, how he felt about Jesus, you're my child, I love you, is the same word he has for you today. You're my son, you're my daughter, I love you. And I want you to know my love for you. I want you to experience my love for you. And if you wonder just how much it is that God loves you, and I'm sure your assumption is he loves more spiritual and religious people more than he loves you, but you're wondering how much he loves you, you need not look any further than the cross because it's there at the cross that God demonstrated his love for you, the lengths to which he would go so that you could know and experience his love for you. Jesus, his beloved son, gave his life and took on the sins of the world, your sin, my sin, real sin, and paid the last sacrifice, the last price, so that you could get just how much God loves you. And what we get to do today is respond to that reality. To respond to the reality of God who's already, always loved you before you were anything. You were everything to him. And we're going to do it through baptism. And I love Baptism Sunday. I love when we do baptisms here at church. And it's been a powerful morning. In fact, at one point over the last couple services, there was a married couple who were wanted to get baptized together and they were in each tank looking at each other and getting baptized in right at the same time. Horizontal tears were coming. I refilled the baptismals with my tears. So beautiful and so powerful that they want to build their life, their marriage on the reality of God's love for them, that that will never fail them. And so what we're going to do is celebrate baptism. And I just want to say a couple words about that. Then offer the invitation to anyone who wants to be baptized today. A couple words about baptism. Uh, baptism is really an act of obedience. It's a response to God. It's following in the footsteps of Jesus. It doesn't make you a Christian. It marks that you've accepted Jesus' love for you. It doesn't make you a Christian. It marks what has happened inside. And it's a way for you to say publicly what is going on internally in your life. That's what we say all the time. Baptism is what transformation looks like in public. This is what inward transformation looks like in public. We put it on display. Now about the symbolism. The water really is a way to represent sort of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that you're literally buried to your old life and then you're brought up out of the water looking like Jesus. It's a beautiful image. And so that's what you're going to see here when you see folks get baptized. There's nothing special. We say this every time. Nothing magical about the water. It's not about the water. It's Lake Michigan water with a lot of bath salts. So it's nothing special. We don't fly it in and believe that it has special power. It's a symbol as well. It's a symbol for you as well. And maybe for you, you were baptized as an infant and you're wondering like how this works with that. Like your parents got you all dressed up and you had no vote in the matter, but they had a nice little photographic moment there and they baptized you. Well, does this cancel that out? Does this go against that? Does that cover me? Well, here's what this is. If anything, if you were baptized as an infant, this is your way of sort of completing 
fulfilling what your parents' hope and intention was for you. They could not make the choice for you whether or not you would accept God's love through Jesus Christ. But if you've made that choice yourself, this is a great way for you to say, I actually fulfilled your intention for me. What a great gift to do either that you can tell them about or to do kind of in their honor and gratitude to them. So this doesn't cancel that out. If anything, it's the fulfillment, the completion of their intention when you were a baby. So for the next couple moments, we are going to celebrate what transformation looks like in public. And I want to just give a special invitation. If you are in a relationship with Jesus, you've said yes to him either recently or at some point in your life, and you have yet to be baptized, here's what I want to say to you. What are you waiting for? There's no reason to actually wait. If you want to be baptized, you're in a relationship with Jesus, you want to be baptized, we actually want to baptize you today. We would love to baptize you today. Now, I know what you're thinking, like, oh, but uh, I got these in my Sunday clothes, and oh, we're going to brunch right afterwards. Guess what? We have a team of brilliant volunteers that have already thought through all of that. And in fact, in the back of the auditorium, right outside the hallway, there's a station there at the green table and they have a bunch of bags for every size of every person. And inside that bag is a pair of black shorts, black t-shirt, dry undies. I'm just saying, you'll thank us later. There's everything you need to get baptized right now today. So what are you waiting for? Maybe for you, you kind of walked away from God and it's been a long time, but you're coming back home and you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you want to mark that this is a new day, that God's doing a new thing and that you can actually begin again in Him. What are you waiting for? We would love to baptize you today. So we're going to open up the waters to anyone who wants to get baptized today. And I want to encourage you not to miss this moment. Maybe what you want to do is grab a friend and say, hey, help me do this. I want to do this. Walk with me. Go with me. And they'll come back here and stand with you when you get baptized. Or maybe you want to grab your spouse and say, hey, I don't think we've ever really done this together. Why don't we get baptized today? What a beautiful way for you to say with your spouse, or maybe you're engaged to say, let's build our relationship on this foundation and be baptized together today. Maybe you want to grab your small group, a couple friends and say, I want you to stand with me and support me. Here's the deal. We just don't want you to miss it. There's no reason for you not to be baptized today. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray for you. And in a moment, we're going to say, hey, listen, anyone who wants to get baptized, head on to the back. And that's your cue to actually just walk straight to the back. It's not a pressure thing. It's not something like I don't get a bonus for every baptism. Like this is about you saying yes to accepting the love that God already has for you and saying, I believe that through Jesus, the one who came to be with, I actually can have relationship with God. I choose him. I confess my brokenness, my sin. I choose him. If you want to say that today or have said that at any point and have yet to be baptized, today's your day. Don't wait any longer. So I'm going to ask you to stand up right now. Again, if you're thinking about it, tell someone next to you so that they'll hold you to it. Say, hey, I want to do this right now. Will you go with me? Go together as a couple. Be ready, because when I say amen, we're going to cheer you out of this room, and we're going to celebrate God as you enter the waters of baptism today. Make sense? Awesome. Let's pray together right now, and then we're going to open up the waters. So Jesus, thank you so much that when we enter the waters of baptism, we are following your lead. You did not need to be baptized, but to show how much you are with us, and out of faith and obedience to God, you too entered the waters of baptism. 
And so help us now to do the same, to mark this holy moment, to get the words that were spoken to you to be spoken to us today, that there is a God who desperately loves us, who delights in us, who says, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I am so pleased with you. Help us to get that today, to celebrate that today and to mark this as a holy moment. And Holy Spirit, I pray for anyone who's on the fence right now who's wondering if this is them, out of a total spirit of joy and celebration, out of trust and faith in you and your son Jesus, that they would respond and say yes right now and mark this moment in their life and never forget who you are and what you've done for them. So it's because of you, Jesus, your example, your life offered for us on the cross and left in an empty tomb for us to see that there is nothing that can separate us from God anymore. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.